1: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, I talk with the editors of an excellent new collection of short stories about why they wanted remixes of Arthurian legends. There's just so much there, there. Like you have underdog stories and you have
2: stories about power balance and then you have these love stories and there's battle, there's politics. Like what isn't there?
1: Plus, Anna North takes down the myth that we were supposed to treat lockdown as a time to be productive and awesome and amazing.
3: This was always a strange argument to me, and I was surprised to see it just persist and persist and persist and still be there today. But
1: first, it's our panel on the week that was. Both panelists this week are friends of the show. We have Meha Ahmad, senior producer for WBEZ's midday talk show Reset. Hey, Meha. Hey, Greta. And we have Ariane Nettles. She's the deputy editor at City Bureau here in Chicago. Ari, hello.
4: Hello. I love your singing hellos. They always just make me so happy. I know. I know. You know, that's how I get ready for the day. Like (laughs) every time we talk, I do, I get on the mic and I do a little, hello, hello. It's
5: nice. It is. It's beautiful. Thank you.
1: So I think we should kick things off with the Euro Cup final. You see what I did there? Kick things off. I'm the worst. I get it. (laughs) So we're talking about soccer, which most people call football. Full disclosure, sports is not my strong suit. But I do think this is a really interesting story. Um, This was a highly anticipated game. It was Italy versus England. It was a nail biter. It ended with penalty kicks and three black players for England all missed the goal. And they were subsequently viciously attacked with horrible racist stuff on social media. Uh, Now, Meha, you're the one who mentioned this story to us. How closely did you follow it? Like, did you watch the game?
5: No. (laughs) Not, Not at all. I mean, like, I didn't even know there was a game until I noticed, like, on Twitter, just folks that I follow who I also didn't think were big on sports. All were sort of live reacting to the game. So I'm like, oh, something is happening in the world.
1: Well, and there were were a couple games. There were like several games happening at once. So Twitter was very weird, which reminds me of, I think it was Saeed Jones who tweeted something like, happy sports to all of you who celebrate. Because it was just sort of like, oh, wow, this is a whole thing that I didn't know about.
5: (laughs) Yeah. And it was, so I didn't, I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, there's a football game or, you know, (laughs) international football, soccer in America. Um, And then England lost... And when I tell you like the way people reacted, I'm like, oh, do you care about the this much? To me, it was sort of weird to watch. But the, the big story to me was the racist backlash against the players. And then what sort of stole the story a bit was Prince William's re- reaction to that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the racist harassment was so bad that both Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Prince William spoke out in defense of the players, which especially given the context around the royal family and, you know, what has come out recently about their treatment of Meghan Markle and the super, you know, racist history they have, it was just like, oh, really? Y'all are chiming in on this one.
5: Like, y'all could have sat there and, you know, ate your food. I mean, listen, it's, yes, if you see racism, you should call it out. And as leaders um, and public figures, it is the right thing to do. The problem is it's been inconsistent in how they do it and when they Mm -hmm. do it. And, you know, especially with like the, you know, the the criticism around how the, the palace treated Meghan markle and then the way prince william um pushed back on that criticism oh, and, right. you know really like defended the the palace and and like denied that there was any like real problem with racism mm-hmm. you know somebody had asked me like oh what do you think the difference was i'm like it's that Meghan markle doesn't play soccer <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it, it, that <sighs> like maybe if she played soccer he would have cared more um that's so that's that's the that's my criticism of the prince and the palace and, you know, hashtag abolish the monarchy. That's where I'm standing.
1: OK, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the I forgot about Prince William's other tweet. It was something about how, like, we are very much not racist ever, which is like, you know, love and unequivocal denial. I feel like that
4: always goes well. Um, Ariane, how much have you followed this story this week? So I've followed it enough to um be irritated by <laughs> it you know and um I mean even though it's like okay well I'm I'm glad that he tweeted that you know like Ma said we have like you know society has a relationship with black entertainers and black sports people where you know it is different than like that of you know, black people as a whole. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, well, we need these people to entertain us. So sometimes protect them. And even then, of course, we see oftentimes it's like, yes, protect them as long as they're winning. And as soon as they're not, they can be disposed of too, you know? So I think it was that piece of it, you know? And as as somebody who kind of sees, I see myself as a Meghan Markle supporter, it's like, well if you were really down for the cause, like you would have made sure that she was safer. Yeah. Well, and I think the point
1: you made too about like the idea that there's sort of a conditional acceptance of people of color, right. Where it's like, sure, you can be on our team as long as you win, as long as you do things that make us look good too. I think this is just like such a striking example of that and such a fucking bummer, you know?
4: Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen this in this type of sports arena, um, so it's like I wasn't surprised by it, but it's just kind of you know you can't you can't hold in your racisms for a little bit, you know, mm, yeah, no. So another story that shouldn't be at all surprising
1: but is still disappointing is what a lot of people are calling the billionaire space race. Uh, so next week, Amazon's Jeff Bezos is planning on going into zero gravity. But that's a week too late because turns out last week, Virgin's Richard Branson flew to the edge of space and back in his rocket. Here he is talking about it afterwards.
3: I think like, like uh, most kids, I have dreamt of this moment since I was a kid. And but honestly, nothing could prepare you for... Uh, The view of Earth from space, Um, I mean, the whole thing was just magical.
1: Elon Musk, who owns SpaceX, just booked a trip to space on Virgin Galactic. Those trips cost $250,000, and apparently the company has already gotten 80 million bucks in sales and deposits.
4: Uh, Ariane, how much do you hate this story? (laughs) I hate this story probably more than I could hate anything. Um, and I think because immediately, as soon as this got into the news, I started thinking about uh, the Gil Scott Heron poem, Whitey on the Moon.
5: I can't pay no
3: doctor
4: bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. And I'm immediately thinking about, like, you know, of course, the poem talks about, like, can't, you know, have no, you have no insurance. People have no insurance. People can't pay their landlords. All these things that are happening here on Earth.
3: Well, I was already giving him 50 a week and now white is on the moon.
4: Yet you have the desire to spend all your money on this um, race into space that is not necessarily for the betterment of research or for society, right? It's like, because I think that those are two different things. Like, I think it's Mm -hmm. great for us to understand, you know, what is outside of just us here on Earth. Like I think that's great, but that's not what this is for, right? This is for, you know what, I'm just gonna go to space for entertainment. Yeah. And let's see who can start sending people there. Like how fast can we get rich people to be able to take commercial flights on a rocket or whatever? Yep. Out of space. And yeah. it's you know, it's not it's not for the reasons that make us good you know the the we want to understand be a more understanding of what's outside of us right like that's not the reason and you know we just have so many people here on earth struggling and it's, it's always it's just always so frustrating to see how easily people can just like look past that you know because it doesn't affect them or it doesn't affect the people that they love and care about. Yeah, it seems like an almost literal ego trip, you know. Yes, it's just like okay, good for you, I guess. I see, I see what you did there, an <laughs> ego trip. I see, I see what you did there, Greta. That was good, frankly. Thank you, Ariana. <laughs> what do you think, Maha?
5: Um, yeah, you know, I agree. Well, here's the thing. So, like, I love NASA, and I love, you know um you know it, you're a space nerd yeah space nerd, you know like I love you know space exploration I think NASA needs more funding you know and like I like that and, and then the whole time I'm watching I'm like is there is there a piece of this I'm missing like where's the innovation right like where's the sense of common good and like where's the breakthrough here I don't feel a breakthrough mm. I don't know you know there was a, a column in the Washington Post that I thought was funny slash terrible and it was like you know um Comparing people who are criticizing the billionaires trying to get to space to the critics of, you know, historic explorers and hmm. inventors and you know adventurers saying that, well, you know, let's say an explorer wanted to like, get on a ship and try like look for a new land, the critics back then would have said like, why even bother? Just stay home and you know work in- as a blacksmith. <laughs> so, which I thought was kind of a terrible comparison um to say that like it's not like it's not that the critics are are against innovation and advancement it's what is the innovation and advancement right here what are these billionaires doing other than trying to like say look I went to space you know it's it's just sort of like it just what a waste just feels like such a waste right now
1: yeah, it really does. So yeah, the the op-ed you're referring to from the Washington Post, the headline was the billionaire space race benefits the rest of us, really. But it's like, I don't know if you have to put that right, really in the headline. Like, I don't think your argument is gonna is gonna work.
5: You know, I just don't see the, the social benefit here. And yeah, I'm rooting for no one in
4: this race.
1: Same. <laughs> That's funny, because I was gonna ask y'all who you were rooting for. I so you're both yes. abstaining from that.
4: Yes. Well. Well. No. Like not abstaining, but like really saying, "I hope no one wins." Like <laughs> it's like actively. It's it's like when your when neither of your towns, like when your town's team isn't in the Super Bowl, and you're like, "I hope both teams lose." You know, you can hope it. Like somebody's gonna win, but I'm still gonna <laughs> say, "I hope all what is it? All three? I hope all three lose. I hope they all get rained out."
5: Actively heckling the space race. <laughs>
1: I love it. So we're just going to keep on with this trend of not surprising but still disappointing news. And now talk about this new mac and cheese flavored ice cream because I am fascinated. Um, so this is made by a creamery in New York. It's called Van Leeuwen's. Uh, they dropped a mac and cheese flavored ice cream. It's a partnership with Kraft. It's got that orange color. It's 12 bucks a pint. Oh, no. Um <laughs> I knew you'd be annoyed by that part. Um, Ariane. what do you think? Do you find this to be completely disgusting or like a little bit
4: enticing? Because, you know, the sweet, savory thing, sometimes it works. What do you think? I mean, it's completely disgusting. And I feel like whoever created that, like as the person in my family who makes the best mac and cheese, Mm. I know that they just don't know how to make good mac and cheese. That's why you feel like you can make mac and cheese be like other things can be flavored, such as that. It's because you don't know good mac and cheese. You don't know how to make it. You don't know what it tastes like. And so that is my position.
1: <laughs> I respect that very much. <laughs> um, I am happy to report this ice cream doesn't involve any noodles, which I think is a really important <laughs> choice that they made. But I don't... Eater's reviewer they called it nothing short of magical and recommended pairing it with hot apple pie. Meha, what do you think?
5: What? <laughs> they did? <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, I guess like, you know, now that you're saying, I didn't even think about the noodle thing, but now that you're saying there's no noodles, I mean, why call it mac and cheese? It's just cheese ice cream, right? Um, <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. So it, listen, I'll try anything. So I, it sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. However, um, yeah. I, I, if the, if eater is saying magical, I mean, they don't throw words like that around.
1: Nothing short of magical. That's crazy. That is
5: high praise for anything, let alone cheese ice cream. Um, I would try it
4: <laughs> but you would try it for free like you would not spend $12 for it the
5: $12 it. price tag is kind of bothering me because I spend that at Jenny's for a pint I
4: know and I know
5: there where I love their ice cream I'm like man I just spent $12
1: <laughs> Yep, but I'm like you I would try it if someone was, were like hey I bought you this pint of mac and cheese ice cream I'd be like do you know me at all but also okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> Maha, Ariane, thank you both so much. This was really fun.
5: Sure, anytime. This was great.
1: So there is a short story out there that is about a reality TV show set on Mars, and believe it or not, it is actually a retelling of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, you know, like the the Camelot story. It is called Little Green Men, and it's Alexander Chee's contribution to a fascinating new collection of King Arthur stories. Called Sword, Stone, Table, Old Legends, New Voices. Along with Little Green Men, there are stories about Excalibur and the Holy Grail and Guinevere and Lancelot and Arthur and magic and bravery and all the good stuff that you would want from a great King Arthur story. But they're all reimagined in surprising and delightful new ways by authors who hold marginalized identities. Swordstone Table was edited by Swepna Krishna and Jen Northington. Swepna is a journalist and Jen works over at Book Riot. They're both with us now. Hi, you two.
6: Hello. Hello.
1: So this collection is broken into three sections. We have once, present, and future. Um, Essentially, there are period pieces and then modern day retellings and then futuristic visions of King Arthur's court. Jen, I'm curious, uh, beyond what I just mentioned in the intro... Can you give us some more examples of what readers are going to find in these stories?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the first story that you will meet actually does go to Camelot. It's The Once and Future Kadhi by Asma Zehanik Khan. Mm -hmm. And... This Islamic jurister gets called in to mediate the accusations of infidelity against Guinevere uh, for the court of King Arthur, which is an amazing premise. We have one story that takes place in like late 1800s Midwest. We've got a story that takes place in the 80s on a reservation in Canada. We've got a baseball story that's Mm -hmm. sort of timeless. And then we've got Ken Liu's story, which is like who knows when that happens? It's deep into the future. So it's a really interesting mix.
1: Oh, I just love it. So Swepna, I know better than to ask either of you if you have a favorite story from the collection. But I'm curious if there is at least one that maybe you're like the most excited for people to read.
6: I I think there's there's obviously something I'm excited about in each of these stories. But I think I'm really, really excited for people to kind of be challenged and I think Asma awesome Stories really does that. It really challenges your, your mm-hmm. perceptions of what's going on, what you think is going on. I think another one that really does that well is um, Anthony's story. I think, um, and this is his fiction debut, um, Anthony Rapp. So I'm really excited That's to have really him in this. Cool. Yeah. But just exploring you know, the w- world of 1980s, two gay men, one with AIDS, And then Merlin shows up like it's, it's so transformative. And then there's, you know, Roshni Chokshi's story, which is uh, a little more traditional. It's a little bit of a romance, but it's like, I can't read it without crying. Like I've read it maybe like 20, 25 times. And every time I start crying Mm. and I think it's, it's just, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't pick a favorite, but I think what I'm really excited for, honestly, rather than people connecting with a single story is for them to find themselves in some way represented in this, because there's no way we could represent the breadth of marginalization. There's You just can't do that. There's so much. But what we wanted to do is for people to somehow see some piece of themselves in this.
1: Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. So you mentioned the word retreading, which I think is really interesting in this context, because I mean, obviously, these stories are all revisiting the classic right Mm. and I'm curious about what it is about Camelot you think that just sort of makes people's brains light up
2: well my feeling is that there's just so much there there like there are so many characters there are so many different angles that you can take there's so many different kinds of stories like you have underdog stories and you have stories about power balance and then you have these love stories and you know we have quest there's stories magic like magic
1: and yeah. yeah
2: exactly there's there's battle there's politics like there's what isn't there right like there's so much mm-hmm. and for me I don't know if this is a is a person like is this one of there's like there's two types of people in the world, people who love a remix and people who want something brand new. And I deeply love a remix. I love all kinds of retellings. I feel like they were a huge part of my discovery of genre growing up, because I think especially for kids, right, you, you know, if you have a kid, you read the same story to them Over and over and over and over and they love it because it's familiar. But then when you see somebody tell that story with a new twist, you're like, oh, like, I didn't even think about how the story could open up in that way. So to me, that's that's the magic of a retelling of messing with something that's already there. And also, like, quite frankly, you can get super subversive with it, which is definitely what some of our contributors have done. I mean, I think all of them actually in their own way are
1: subverting the legend in really cool and interesting ways. Well, yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know, I think there's a really interesting subversion even in the the fact that, you know, essentially, none of the contributing writers here look like, you know, what you would picture the Knights of the Round Table to look like <laughs> even, right?
6: Yeah, I definitely think so. And um, I will say we didn't give the um, contributors any specific instructions on when they should write or what they should write. We, hmm. picked, we picked contributors and wanted because we loved their work and wanted them to write what they wanted to write. But just selfishly, I'm really glad we have stories set in the past because as a person of color, I think it's really important to have people of color in stories set in the past because we did exist. We were there and were erased from a lot of the stuff from the time period. So I think going back and like, like Asma's story is fantastic because that could have happened. Like absolutely could have happened. And I think it's really refreshing to see you know, us exist in these stories. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think I, your timing is so cool, too, because it coincides with the Green Knight movie coming out soon, which is such a really interesting, I mean, it's Dev Patel playing Gawain, which I think speaks exactly to your point, point. and I think it's really exciting, like, it's cool just to see his face and the knights, you know, it's just like... Yes, this totally makes sense. This shouldn't be like a huge stretch of the imagination. You know?
6: Absolutely. I think I, I feel really strongly about that. And that's one thing I really love about this collection that, um, you know, you don't have to look for the people of color. You don't have to look for, you know, it's inclusive because, you know, because these people write inclusive stories.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, Swepna, can you tell me a little bit about the process with the authors? Like, it feels to me so much like these stories are kind of in conversation with each other. But were the authors actually talking to each other at all?
6: No. And that is, I think, the magic of this collection. Like, they knew generally who was in the collection. um, But when we have our launch party, um, that's going to be the first time these authors, you know, in any official way, these authors have really communicated with each other. Mm -hmm.
1: So, Jen, I mean, I feel like we've probably gotten to this a little bit through the course of this conversation. But, but what do you think the conversation these stories are having together?
2: That's an interesting question. My sense is that they are all exploring what the places of the marginalized are mm-hmm. in story, in their own ways. Because, you know, as we've said, like all of these authors have experienced marginalization in some way. And so how they are in conversation with pop culture, with society, with literature, with fan fiction, with whatever. Um, They are all actively part of a conversation that is happening in books widely. And so it was very exciting, I think, to get yeses from them that they would then bring those perspectives and those conversations to this anthology
1: that is really amazing. Um okay, so before I let you go, I'm curious if there's another, you know, well-known well-loved mythology that that you think could use a similar treatment.
2: I mean, I, the answer is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> just everything. Just everything. Remix all of the things is oh, how I, I feel that. about that. Uh, With the
1: exclamation point at the end.
6: I heard it and I love yes, it.
2: Yes, it was there.
6: What do you think, Swepna? Yeah, um so I think I would probably there's two um there's two that are close to my heart. One is Homer, like the Elite and the Odyssey, have been a huge. And there's again, so like you could turn absolutely turn that into a cinematic. Oh God. I mean, they're
1: literally epic. Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> between those two books, there's just so many characters, so many stories to tell, and so many stories that seem like they've been told on the page, but you know, if you actually look at the text, they haven't. So that's probably one. And then the other is the Mahabharata, which is a Hindu epic that is just, I mean, it's an epic, like it's epic. Yes. Um, and I would love to see, I would love to edit an anthology of stories based on that.
1: Now, is there like a TV show or like movies that yes. were based off of those?
6: Yes, there are. It was like a, like every Indian household that was around, that was here in like the like 90s has these on like VHS Yes. Teams. It's like, a, like an eight. Part series that, yes, that, yep. <laughs> I mean, it does sound
1: amazing. Speaking of epic, it sounds amazing. It's like, it's, it sounds soapy too, it like is, in the perfect it is. It's way. It's very
6: soapy, and it's like, you know, it's got, it's got, it's a lot, it, it, the closest comparison would be something like the Lady of The Odyssey. It's got gods and mortals and, you know, families and feuds, and ep- it's just, it's fantastic.
1: That sounds amazing. I definitely hope we get to read that collection someday. Um, Jen, Swepna, thank you both so much for coming on. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. After the break, I talk with Anna North about how we all need to cut ourselves some slack for not learning a whole ass new language while we were in lockdown. The pandemic is still far from over, but a lot of us are starting to inch back to normal life, whether we like it or not, which means a lot of us have started to get together with friends to talk about what our experiences have been like over the past 15-ish months. I recently came across a Vox article that I thought was really important to unpack a little. The headline is Lockdown Was Not a Sabbatical. And it's all about the idea that it is totally okay if we didn't learn a new language or reupholster all of our furniture over the past year. It was written by Anna North, who also happens to be the author of an excellent book called Outlawed, which came out earlier this year. Anna, welcome to Nerdette. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. So uh, the thesis statement of this article essentially is that there's all kinds of pressure for us to frame our time in lockdown as this like great opportunity for us to learn a new skill or start a new business or at least to be as productive as possible. Um, obviously there has been a lot of backlash to this also, but I think we should start with like that original premise. Can you set what that argument up was a little bit? I feel like it's steeped in privilege.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like this started almost as soon as the lockdown started, like at least in the U S right. I Mm -hmm. mean, things started locking down like in March and, you know, by like mid March, there were already stories about like, how to use this time to become a better cook, how to use this time to get exercise, how to use this time to, like, catch up on your hobbies, to get a new hobby, all this stuff. Um, Even, like, you know, business experts on Twitter saying, like, well, if you don't come out of this time, you know, with a new skill, what were you even doing? Mm -hmm. And it is really steeped in privilege, and it's also just – it's pretty hard to use time well when you're traumatized or racked with anxiety. So, you know, this was always the strange argument to me. And I was surprised to see it just persist and persist and persist and still be there today.
1: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like today? Because there have been a couple recent examples that I also think are really interesting. One that comes to mind is someone who tweeted about a job interview yeah. he had done
3: yeah this was actually like the number one inspiration for this piece in a way was it this guy Niall Anderson um and he I I talked to him by email um he works at a university in Dublin and he just tweeted I don't want to alarm anyone but I've just been asked in a job interview if I use lockdown quote to pursue any passion projects or personal development end quote (laughs) and it's just I mean that tweet like went viral because everyone was like this sounds like a nightmare Um, but he said a lot of people were replying to him saying, this happened to me, this happened to me. He said he got hundreds of replies like that. Um, you know, and like, hopefully this is not going to become some kind of standard job interview question, but like the fact that someone's even thinking to ask that in 2021 after so much death, you know, so much horrible stuff around the world. Like if we've learned anything, like haven't we learned to be more sensitive? Like maybe not.
1: Right. Ugh. Um, so is there anything in particular that you're doing now to kind of make sure that you're processing everything you did go through?
3: I mean, great question. I, I'm writing fiction again, which feels great. Nice. I felt like there was no space in my mind for any of 2020 to really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what was actually happening in the world was so intense. And also just practically speaking, I didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been good. I'm going to go swimming tomorrow. I haven't Ooh. been swimming this whole time. Oh, <laughs> so, so nice. you know, like baby steps. I think a lot of us are doing, are doing like those little things.
1: Yeah. I, my thing lately has just been to like sleep at least nine hours a night, which I know is, you know, I don't have kids, obviously. So <laughs> it's a lot easier than it might be. But it's like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sleep this off.
3: <laughs> that sounds great. If I could go back in time to before I had a child, I would definitely sleep nine hours every night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I hope I didn't just rub it in. No, You're no. doing great.
3: But that's also like a really good, like rest is I think really undervalued and yeah. is a form of processing, um, yeah. you know, and I think like to some degree, I think some of us are kind of like relearning the value of rest right now. I think that's great.
1: Yeah, totally. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're writing? Because I'm really excited to hear you have another book coming. I mean, I Um, assume it'll be another book, right?
3: I'm working on another book. It's at the very, very beginning. Um, I think what I'll say about it is just like um, it'll be said in the present. It's, you know, I guess similar in some ways to Outlawed and it's about a woman and she is a scientist. Um And she's trying to trying to solve some problems and answer some questions. But I think okay. other than that, it'll be pretty different.
1: Mm, I'm so excited. I loved Outlawed so much. I would love to have you back sometime to talk all about that. Aww. But thank you so much for helping us unpack how the hell we're supposed to unpack what we just went through. I think this was a really important conversation.
3: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: That's it for today. We are taping our version zero book club discussion on Friday, July 23rd. That is next Friday. That's also the day season two of Ted Lasso drops on Apple TV plus, but that is irrelevant in this specific moment. If you have read version zero and you have thoughts, I would love to hear them. Uh, record yourself on your phone, then email the file to nerd at, at Gmail, and then tune in to hear the chat on Tuesday, the 27th. Also, other book club news, we did an Instagram poll to ask y'all what the August book club book should be. And you chose Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. So pick that up when you can. I'm excited to read it. I haven't read it yet, but it looks great. Speaking of Instagram, you can keep in touch with us on the internet. Nerdette is at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Greta M. Johnson on Instagram and Twitter. And our producer, Isabel, is at Isabel T. Carter on Twitter. We've got a newsletter. It's pretty sweet. It comes out once a week. And there's a bunch of links to cool stuff in it. You can sign up for that at WBEZ.org slash nerdetteaf. All right, that's it. See you next Friday.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen, Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series.